Welcome to Tailgate, an NFL Draft and College Football Podcast with Austin Gale and Mike Renner. Episode 2 of Tailgate, baby. We are doing our final 2021 college football season predictions, conference winners, and award winners for the 2021 season. And at the back end of the show, interviews with South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer and Houston head coach Dana Holgerson. Let's get it. trip tour 2021 is making the rounds in the pff offices chris collinsworth's up there he came he's like whatever you guys do he came up to me he's like chris he's like austin whatever you guys do i don't care where you guys go but it needs to be an absolute scene when you guys go i'm like all right it'll be a scene whatever that means you know us chris it's gonna be a scene it's gonna be a scene it's going to be a scene. Neil is also, Neil, the founder of PFF, is super, super excited. He's like, you guys have to go to West Virginia, Texas. Mm-hmm. We're considering that for October or you know, November 20th, considering adding a f- handful of things to the schedule. An update for the crew on where we're going this year. August 28th, Nebraska at Illinois in Champaign. September 11th, Oregon at Ohio State in Columbus. And then September 18th, Auburn at Penn State in Happy Valley. Going to be a treat. A handful of other ones already on the schedule, but those are the next three. Make sure if you are going to be in town for those games, reach out. We're going to definitely be tailgating pretty heavily. We are going to be looking also for bar and restaurant recommendations because we'll be doing bar and restaurant reviews. We are going to do some bar and restaurant reviews. We need the best. We need the best of the best in each of these cities. I already obviously have been from Champaign, have a handle on the best bar and restaurant there, being from Notre, going to Notre Dame, have a handle there, but I don't know shit about Happy Valley. Yeah. Don't really know about Columbus when we're going to be there. So we'll see. We need it. We need those recommendations. We need those tailgate opportunities. Please, please, please reach out. Also, we need recommendations for the rest of the list. Still have an opening on October 2nd. Uh, we have an opening on, looks like October 30th, October 23rd. Those things still coming together as we move forward. To open up the show, catch an early buzz. Can we talk a little bit about Jameis Winston, please? Jameis Winston had two of the best throws of his NFL career last night. Show. Put on a show. It was absurd. And you were, you know, a you pre-game were. Pre-game show also <laughs> yeah. with the little, the balls, the, the Tom House drill or whatever he was doing that he can't do a normal thing. Like he can't throw a football yeah. just normally as a warm up. He has to do the craziest thing imaginable. That's Jameis. But. He looked good. Shit, like they, there's no sugar code and it. Dude looked good. He was summoning the football gods with that pregame warm-up and then went out and, you know, like you said, put on a show. Those two throws to Marcus Callaway, I think the first one was 48 air yards in the back of the end zone right down, right into you know, the grass with Callaway, and the other one was 28 air yards to the left sideline over both Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille mm-hmm. Griffin getting toasted in Jacksonville was mm-hmm. not a good look for that defense. It wasn't a good look for Jacksonville overall. I, I mean, let's, let's transition a little bit here. Before, well, before we do. James Winston, the favorite to start in New Orleans. Uh, if he doesn't fucking start, what are you doing there in New Orleans? Did you watch Taysom throw the goddamn football? Even those completions just aren't in good spots. Like he threw a back shoulder to Lil Jordan Humphrey, and Lil Jordan Humphrey had to give the hardest push off I've ever seen that didn't get called for an OPI first. And then it had to come like three yards off the sideline to go get it. That it blew my mind that the announcers are feelating. T- Taysom as if he's had like this great camp and he's thrown the ball the best of his career. It's like, he's still not, he's still missing throws left and right. He's still mm-hmm. not close to NFL level quarterback in terms of accuracy. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills watching this stuff. I, and right after the game too, they obviously went, Hey, 
Is James Winston the starter in Sean Payton? We still don't know yet. We still nothing nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Like, I don't dude, blame him for saying that, but yeah. But I mean, two drives in, he throws two absolute pearls and they bench him. I mean, not but they bench him, but they sit him down. I think they knew. Like, hey, two drives, they were done. Nine of ten, over 120 yards. That was a really, really good performance for Jameis Winston. Uh on the opposite side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence got bullied in that game. They were out two starting offensive linemen. Brandon Leonard was hurt. And I think the um, another and oh, Andrew, Andrew Norwell. Norwell. Andrew. But then they also, Cam Robinson didn't also play. Mm-hmm. So you had Walker Little going up against Mark Stavenport. Who, Which is not great. Mark Stavenport looking like a hoss. He, he's, we didn't do, he's not on breakout watch. We, we did breakout watch. He's full-time breakout watch. He's going to have a monster year. He did that against the Ravens last week. Against obviously Walker Little, rookie, whatever, but still beating up NFL tackles. They're NFL tackles. Um, but my big takeaway for Trevor Lawrence's sake was that he didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Like this offense was not doing him any favors. The pass checks was not doing him any favors. I thought all things considered, he he looked fine. Like he he was not he didn't go above and beyond. He didn't he wasn't exceptional. But for most rookie quarterbacks crumble in that situation where nothing seemingly is going right and and he didn't. I, I thought that was probably a, a very if you're a Jaguars fan, I would be encouraged by that performance. It was not bad by whatsoever. There was that rollout he had. Marcus Davenport was eating Walker Little's lunch and then turned turned and then put it right in Marco, Marcus Williams' hands. That was the one turnover-worthy play that Trevor Lawrence had. I think he did. that one was not turnover-worthy. I'm going to say, did we call that turnover-worthy? We did. We did call that it was not turnover-worthy. That was LaVisca Chenault's fault. LaVisca Chenault is running laterally across the field. Wow. You are a wide receiver in a scramble drill. You can The worst thing you can do is run laterally across the field. Because got to come back to the ball. Someone's coming. Someone's coming forward. Mm-hmm. Someone's coming either downhill. You either run away. You went up the field, or you run back towards the football. You can't run laterally across the field unless you know no one is around you. So to me, that one was on Lavisca Chanel. If we call that turnover worthy play, I'm getting in touch with Ben Stockwell. That was not turnover worthy. Wow. All righty. All righty. We'll have to take a look. Maybe I was looking before grades were finalized because sometimes Better. I'm in ultimate before yeah. grades are finalized. But um, so what? What's where's your, no panic button on Trevor Lawrence? You know, some people are upset that he doesn't look as good as Mac Jones and Zach Wilson so far. Yeah, no, no, no panic button. Look at this, this offense. Are you hitting any panic bu- panic buttons during the preseason right now? Um, Penisul, that one scared me because there's no, there's not time. You know, like when is he going to start feeling comfortable? It might be like midseason. Might have to be like an Andrew Thomas. Didn't Mitchell Schwartz say it takes like three months to yeah, switch positions? That's what I'm saying. Like he, he just doesn't seem like he has the time. Like he probably over the last year and a half was thinking someone's going to draft me to play left tackle. I'm just guy who's good enough to opt out. All I've played is left tackle my entire college career. That's what his sets. He probably didn't practice, maybe practice some at right tackle, but he's practicing left tackle. That's where he thinks he's going to play in the NFL. He thinks he's a top 10 draft pick. Rarely do you see that happen. The guy who goes on the right side. So um, that's the one I'd be a little bit worried about, but not even like long-term. You're the Lions. If Now this is galaxy brain take right here, but you'd almost rather he suck year one and then be awesome year two because you want to suck this year if you want mm-hmm. you want to get a quarterback but so but that's that's, but that's a little too to be... that's a little too galaxy brain that one yeah. that one's a little too far i'd rescind the take but take the tinfoil <laughs> hat off please but um, that one I, I do that's the one guy i'm like that he just might not be the penny Sewell that we were billing him up as year one the, we don't have the pour one out segment on today's show that's when we pour one out for an ugly performance but i'm pouring one out for the gardner Minshew era that deep ball where that guy was streaking wide open, he just not could not put enough on it, I think is an encapsulation of just like the limitations you have with Minshew. And then when he's not perfect, if he's not throw for throw perfect from an accuracy and timing standpoint, it's so hard to win in the NFL yeah. with his limitations. I think um, you know, I think some of the commentators in that game were talking about like him competing for a spot. Like, I mean, like it's that mm-hmm. it's the the Gardner Minshew era has crashed and burned. 
I, I'm more worried about the Urban Meyer era because the guy you called, by the way, the best head coaching hire of the offseason. Did I say that? I yes, still, you did. I still, okay. I would still say, I tweeted yesterday something he's saving all his good play calls for the regular season. <laughs> Obviously, whatever he has up, like, you're not going to try to tip your hand too much. But just as it stands right now, it doesn't look like he's putting out this cohesive offense. It doesn't look like the offense has an identity. It looks like, to me, the offenses we saw from like 2012 to 20, like 15, 16, a lot of places around the NFL where you're trying to like get these concepts from college football. You're trying to like get some spread stuff, get some of these bubble screens, get some of these RPOs, but there's no overall theme or it doesn't all fit together. You're kind of just stealing concepts and they don't, there's no rhyme or reason to them is what it reminds me of watching this. Hopefully it won't look like that during the regular season. And obviously you don't have your offensive line there. Not a lot's going to look cohesive when you don't have your starters in to help your quarterback. So that remains to be seen. But early returns are less than favorable, so we say. I think the I was on a radio hit in Indy today, and they talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. And mm -hmm. I think the word I used consistently was uncomfortable. I think Trevor Lawrence looks somewhat uncomfortable. Obviously, he looked really good under pressure. People are like, it doesn't affect him. It doesn't affect him. It's like, I agree. But like you saw that play, too, where he's trying to get the receiver lined up, but he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. They had to call timeout. Like, so much of this offense looks discombobulated and uncomfortable, almost like not ready. Like, no one's ready. It's like how you feel most of your dates. I, exactly. It's yeah. like, well, I have confidence on my dates. It's just like <laughs> it's how your dates feel. It, almost it, yeah, so. yeah, it's how my dates feel. Uncomfortable <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, let's get out of this. Oh no, wait. wait. One more note. Pour one out. I mean, not pour one out, but it fucking sucks. Travis Etienne, Liz Frank injury. Uh, I think Ian Rapport reported that he's most likely to miss the season. I think honestly, for a rookie, you don't want to have him come back for the back four if he's not ready. I think you want this thing to heal up. But that sucks, man. Yeah. So uh, we don't really discuss injuries much here on two for one drafts because we're not tailgate you mean oh my god i did it you did it last time we didn't do it on two for one drafts is what i well i mean on well, we didn't do it on two for one drafts but on we don't discuss injuries much because we're not doctors uh when i talk to my dad then we discuss injuries but it's also like they're very random but certain positions get injured more and especially the running back position which is something we don't really talk about in the whole running backs whatever don't draft in the first round so Saquon Barkley, we're seeing it with Travis Etienne. It is the most injured position in the NFL. The data supports that, and it's not even close. I wouldn't even argue the eye test supports that. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you like, can anecdotally not, argue that they get yes, hurt the most. The, the player that's getting hit 250 times a year gets is going to be subject to the most injuries. So it, it is something that you have to factor in. And everyone's like, oh, you need two running backs in the NFL. Well, once you need two running backs, you're automatically diminishing the position when you're only playing half the snaps mm -hmm. or whatever. So. And even before that, it was kind of weird. He wasn't even... I don't know what the plan was before that because he wasn't even starting. Carlos Hyde was out snapping him before he got hurt. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable. usage. It was Very weird. Uncomfortable. I mean, Urban Meyer obviously is going to feed Carlos Hyde probably 10 to 15 carries a game. We updated the projections after the Travis Etienne injury, and I think we're projecting a little over 900 yards for James Robinson and only RB26 in PPR leagues because Carlos Hyde's going to get fed. I mean, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to keep Hyde on the bench. Like, I don't think he's going to make um, James Robinson a bell cow by any means. He wants to use a stable of backs there. Carlos Hyde is 30 years old. He's averaged. He's in his prime. Four point one yards per carry for his career. He's in his Buckeye prime. How is that still? I, I, I literally that one makes about that one just blows my mind. The Carlos Hyde. He's he's gonna finish like top twenty all time in rushing. That's an exaggeration. But like how I, how is he still? I don't know. I don't well, 
Before we get into these predictions, I'm going to go ahead and read this off. We have DraftKings, a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season. Receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of the limited time offer now. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every bit Every game, a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF for, to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1, a $1 bet. Jeez, I am butchering this. A $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I apologize. I didn't do that well. That but we was... are bouncing back, and we are bouncing back with college football predictions, final season predictions. We're going to go conference by conference first, and then we're going to do the player awards at the back end here. But conference starting with the ACC. Who is – you go first, and I go first. A little snake action. Snake me up. All right, ACC, <laughs> this one – if you're if you go anywhere else, you're just you're trying to be the smartest guy in the room. It's Clemson. Clemson. It's honestly amazing what they've done because they have just put a monopoly on the ACC. No one even comes close to them. Besides, obviously Notre Dame when the Notre Dame joined, but they they are the unquestioned top dog. They are like an SEC team dropped in the ACC, and it's Clemson. Yeah, it's not even close there. Uh, right now, I think they're minus 750 on DraftKings Sportsbook Ooh. to win the division. That is the highest by any means. That is the obvious favorite. And they had, I mean, they had Darian Kendrick transfer. They had Mike Jones transfer, and they're still... And they lost Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they lost Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, even matter. Like, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, two first-round offense players, and they're still loaded. So, yeah, the odds, minus 750 for Clemson to win that. The next closest team is Sam Howell's North Carolina, another team that lost a ton of talent, but they're still plus 800. Bet $100 to win $800 if you think North Carolina is going to win the ACC. That's how much they don't think it's going to happen. And even looking at PFF's projections here, which we have our own projections, we give Clemson a 54% chance to win the title right now. And just North Carolina, just 20%. Uh, that's in our, it? Yeah, that's it. That's pretty low. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. But my pick is Clemson as well. If you're not picking Clemson, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I'm a big DJ Wongalele fan. We are actually going to the Louisville-Clemson game down in Louisville. I texted yes, Big Dave. Big Dave said, hit us up. He said, we're going to try and make some plays. We're going to make some plays. You don't want to hang out with Big Dave? That's fine. I want to hang out I'm Big tailgating Dave. with Big Dave. Did I tell the story about the time I went to the Clemson, the Louisville game? No. The Louisville Notre Dame game? That's, that's a good story for later. Oh, man. Is it is it really good? Yeah. Ended up uh, puking in my hotel sink. And I had to clean it out the next How many morning. times have you puked in a sink? Because I've done it once and you never do it again, in my opinion. Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm a notorious sink puker. It's just at the perfect height. You know? Can we add that to a shirt? Nope, you don't want that. I think this shirt. is a perfect you know time to bring up. I don't puke that. a lot, but honestly, like seventy-five to eighty percent of my pukes in my life have been in sinks. What? I Why? Just, like that's. It's, they usually come in a hurry. They're not like I'm not planning it out. I know, but it's so close. The sink is always so close to the toilet. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. But it's gotta, also that's Quinn. There's also a garbage can too. <laughs> the garbage can. Garbage and can. That's works. where I I had to scoop out. I had to scoop. I used the you know the the hotel uh, ice. Bucket. Bag, you put that plastic oh, bag yeah. over my hand, and I had to scoop it out the next morning. And man, we almost hung had, over. We almost had a second one in that sink. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it sounds like a nightmare. Yep. 
Dude, you pissed yourself. You puke in sinks. You're At just least, a uh, trash person. That was uh, that was Jeremiah Coromo's breakout game too. Wow. Well, someone broke out uh, for sure. It's a good. That was a good opportunity to bring back Quinn. Quinn has his podcast mic back in back in the control room now. He is back on the show. Yeah, I uh, took a little break around the draft because it turns out that um, planning and executing a draft show is like more work than you would think that it would be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I took a little break over summer, but now we're back. Hey. Quinn's also going to be on some of the trips this year, some of the tailgate trips, He's especially going to go to that Louisville game. Louisville. He's a Louisville alum. Yep, Louisville, UC for sure. Uh, we'll see what else. <laughs> All right. Too. Oh, uh, also merch, tailgate merch. Oh, Tell about that. That's going out tonight. Tailgate merch is going out tonight. We got hats. We got shirts. We're going to try and get some stickers. I know Chris and Neil are going to be buying them, but we need other people to, to come in on the merch. We're going to bring some merch, too, to the game. Yes. So definitely, if you are at the games, we're going to have merch at the tailgates for sure. All right. Uh, Big Ten. I have, I'm going to go first. Okay. Ohio State is the obvious pick here. They are minus 200 to win the division or win the conference. Wisconsin's the next closest team. Um, I don't think it comes close here. I think Ohio State rolls. I really want to go Wisco. Like, really? I think they... I've always said Wisconsin's always just a real quarterback away. And the fucking one year they had one, Russell Wilson, they had the worst defense they've had in the past decade. But Ohio State's, they're just too good. A juggernaut. They're a juggernaut. Wisconsin's going to be very good this year, I, I believe. But I, I'm not I'm not stupid. I'm going Ohio State. Right now, according to PFF's projections, which you can see in the College Football Preview magazine if you are an Edge or Elite subscriber, subscribe now for with promo code KICKOFF30 for 30% off. But we give Ohio State right now a 47% chance of winning the conference title in the Big Ten. Um, Iowa's actually the second highest. Not, not Wisconsin, according to PFF's projections. We are high on <laughs> Iowa. do we know? <laughs> we are high on <laughs> Iowa, for sure. Um, cool. Moving forward here down the list. Those are kind of the two obvious ones. Those are the most obvious favorites right now in the Power Five. Um, but Big 12, who do you have? Big 12. It's going to be a little prelude <laughs> to some later picks. Oklahoma. Yeah. This Oklahoma's team's different. It's different, in my opinion. I think, this, I think this is the year for Oklahoma, but we'll get to that later. To but. go deep in the playoffs, you're saying? Mm. Who do you That's like outside of Spencer Rattler? Give some, give some analysis. The here. defensive line. This is the best defensive line they've had. Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, Perry on Winfrey. They can actually get after opposing quarterbacks. They can actually bang with the big dogs. Best defense the in the Big 12? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll I, have, I have Oklahoma winning as well. They're minus 180 to win the conference. I'm all about the favorite there. I think Big 12, Oklahoma rolls. I think Spencer Rattler has a. Number one overall pick worthy season. I think he ultimately is the 2022 NFL draft first overall selection. Right now, Howell is the favorite. Howell is the favorite to be picked number one overall over Rattler. I think there's value there if you are chasing 2022 NFL draft props. I'm talking a lot of betting right now, but I do think it adds good context when yeah. you are picking these uh, winners. I don't have the favorite in the Pac-12. You go ahead and kick. Uh, I'll, I'll kick, us, kick off. us off. Clay Helton's USC Trojans winning the Pac-12. They're plus 400 to win the Pac-12. I think Oregon is the favorite. And then Washington is the second leading favorite. But USC is third. And I think they're winning the Pac-12 this year. Keaton Slovis has a bounce back season. He's fixed his mechanics. Drake London. Drake Jackson. Clay Helton coaching for his fucking job. Family on this pod. I I'm going USC. Um, you can't come to the Notre Dame USC game anymore. I am going to be there. You can't come. In a USC jersey. Oh, okay. Then you really can't come. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go a different route. I think USC is very talented. But one team... I'm very impressed with what they have Washington. defensively is Washington. Yeah. I think their secondary is one of the best in all of college football. They always have a good offensive line. Now, playmakers, quarterback, TBD. Go with Washington. I think the fish pick, if you're betting on the Pac-12, is Oregon. 
I think I would, I, if I'm a bet, I, I don't like their odds. They're the favorite in the division. As I said, let me look at DraftKings Sportsbook, proud po- partner of the t- uh, tailgate podcast here. Pac-12. Oregon's the, plus 260. Yeah. Washington's plus 350. USC plus 400. Yeah. I think I would stay away from Oregon at plus 260. And if you are going to lean into one team, Washington or USC makes the most sense to me. And according to PFF, you know which team has the highest conference odds to win or highest title odds? Pac-12 at 27%. Or not Pac-12, geez, USC at 27%, which is interesting. Oregon at 2 at 21%, and then Washington at 3, 13%. Talk a little bit more about Washington and our awards picks. I know I'm a big fan of that that linebacker Washington has. We'll talk more about that as we move forward. But on to SEC. Any any change-ups here? I will not be picking Bama. I'll be going Georgia. I, I think that it is the most talented defense in America, Georgia. From just at least a draft perspective, they they have they are loaded every single level, every position group. Now, JT Daniels, do I trust him yet? Mm, th- no, that UC game was scary as hell. That, that was not. It's not going to fly against Bama, mm-hmm. but I'm sticking with Georgia, I think that talent will rule out. They always have a good offensive line, and I think once Pickens is back healthy, knock on wood that he comes, uh, th- they'll be solid. Small sample size, but I was looking at some data on JT Daniels this morning. On, among, among the 106 FBS quarterbacks that threw at least 50 passes more than 10 yards last season, so more than 10 air yards, he ranked inside the top five in lowest percentage of uncatchable throws. It's a very volatile stat at that sample size, but still, that's up there with Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, uh, Justin Fields, all ranked really high in that statistic this past season. So some encouraging stuff there. Even though there's a lot of reason to not like JT Daniels, he also had a high percentage of catchable but inaccurate throws ball placement i still think can improve but i know there's a lot of people picking jt daniels for the heisman are you buying any of that hype at all no god no please no don't wow. go that far wow you wouldn't go that far would not go that far fair enough we'll talk more heisman as we go forward my pick for the sec is alabama alabama right now minus 165 to win the conference i think they ultimately roll and i don't i, I as i just talk about you know jt daniels some hope there i think he isn't the best quarterback in the SEC. I think Alabama has a really good defense. Secondary is absolutely loaded with Josh Job and company. Anderson. I mean, there is too much talent. I think they have talent. I think there's too much talent on this Alabama team for JT Daniels to even come close. And if they win against each other, again, I just don't see I don't see Alabama uh, losing out to Georgia there. All right. Well, teach her. We got a little. We got a, we got some different picks there. Shall we jump to the group of five? Yeah, let's get a little group of five action going. Mountain West went a little deep cut here. Boise State is the favorite, and they're actually minus money, which I think is impressive mm-hmm. for Boise State. But the Mountain West got some, it's got some talent. Yeah, uh, San Jose State has some draftable dudes. Nick Starkle, uh, Nevada though, that's where I'm rolling. I went Nevada you too. No, yeah, hell yeah, Carson Strong, Romeo Dubs, uh, Don Peterson, that 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 like 5'11", 300 pound defensive tackle who plays like defensive end sometimes for them is hashtag fun to watch. Maybe not a great prospect, but hashtag fun to watch. They got. It's a player. They're just going to air it out. Like that offense is going to be tough to stop. Yeah. So I, I'm going to roll with the Wolfpack. I think it's the best. You know, Carson Strong is obviously the best quarterback in that conference. Plus 450 to win the division. Boise State minus 125. I think we saw Boise State recently named their starting quarterback as Hank Bachmeyer, not Jack Sears. I, I honestly think this is Nevada should be at least closer than plus 450. I mean, that's bet 100 to win 450 for Nevada to win the Mountain West. I like Nevada a lot. I think Carson Strong has that year to where he's like legitimately entering. You know, top of first round conversation. And to do that, yeah. he needs to have a legitimate year. And I think he's going to, he has all the tools to do so. Uh, I'm not betting San Diego State at plus 1,000, even mm. though I want to. Fun fact about Nevada. It's where my ex girlfriend that punched me went to 
school. So oh, that's mom. right. That's yeah. right. Well, went to school. Like we still are. That's where she got her master's. We're masters. Masters. Oh my gosh. Fairy tales are out and about today. I didn't know Dr. Seuss was hosting. Masters. I don't. I don't. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Um, let's I get- didn't realize until after the fact. This another fun fact about Nevada. Nevada has the lowest average ACT score of any public university. That now 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 we're talking facts I can get behind in regards to your ex-girlfriend. Now we now I can get on board. Now I can that get one on I didn't board. realize it. <laughs> she did. She found out. <laughs> she found out just left over the bar over there. Um American Conference, I'm sticking hometown. You know where I'm going, Quinn. Our our yeah. Cincinnati Bearcats. I also think they upset Notre Dame on the road. Uh that game we're going to on the tailgate trip. I think Cincinnati Cincinnati goes in as four four and a half point dogs and they win. This might be the best value. And it's minus 200. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see a world where they don't win the AC. Like, that's that's stealing. Like that, 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 I think UCF is the only competitor, really, that's going to even have a, you know, a dog in that race. Yeah. I mean, Cincinnati returns, what, 19 starters from a year ago? Multiple top 50 starters. picks. I would say multiple top 50 picks. Ahmad Garner, MyJ Sanders, Desmond Ritter. I mean, Desmond Ritter may be fringe top 50, but still. But for a college quarterback, he's very good. Yeah. Still. Day one, day two picks, and there's still t- like Luke Fickle is still recruiting talent. There's gonna be a handful of breakouts on on Cincinnati's team. I know they're a big fan of their tight end, I, Josh Wiley. Yeah, I think Alex this is gonna Bell. be legit, man. Yeah. Alec Pierce is Pierce. on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. This is this Cincinnati team is no joke. Yeah. So minus two hundred to me, that one's that's my that's my favorite value of any of these of the betting values. Love that Sun Belt. What's interesting here is. Billy Napier and Jamie Chadwell, two head coaches, Louisiana and Coastal Carolina, have both been on this podcast. And I'll say, I thought Coastal Carolina going into the year was going to be the favorite to win. But Louisiana, Billy Napier's Louisiana Raging Cajuns, are actually the favorite to win the Sun Belt plus 110. Coastal Carolina, with Grace McCall and all those guys, are at plus 160. Both teams return a ton of starters. Um, there's question, I think there's more question marks with Louisiana Lafayette's skill group than there is for Coastal Carolina. And obviously, I like the quarterback more, and Grayson McCall, who is bigger, more explosive, all these things that Jamie Chadwell spoke to. Coastal Carolina at plus 160 is where I'm leaning, and I think they are the one that win this division. Or conference, sorry. Yeah, I'm going Coastal Carolina as well. Um, I say it likely, tight end there. Probably, you know, top four round type of tight end. Jeffrey Gunter, top 10 freaks list guy. Coastal Carolina graded out actually pretty well it's gonna be on pfs top 100 draft board when it drops uh tomorrow actually so yeah i i I think coast carolina is who i'm rolling with there grace mccall one of the highest graded returning quarterbacks in all of the fbs and i think he continues i mean this is (laughs) i mean i think he continues to develop i think he still hasn't played his best football so i think he goes back he's an option king he's like perfectly made for what chadwell wants to run at coastal carolina he's like really understood how to you know work that offense so i do think that they ultimately win that conference and it's gonna be a really fun you know matchup between those two i don't think anyone else comes close i think the closest team right now is app state at plus 400 but everyone else not a ton of talent in the Sun Belt after louisiana lafayette and coastal carolina moving to the mac DraftKings does not have odds on the mac or the conference usa but Sheesh. let's let's combine these since they don't have odds the favorites according to pff and that's what i'm sticking with are buffalo to win the mac western michigan is the only other competitor and for conference usa it's uab they're the favorites, but that's a tight conference. UAB could win it. Um, I'm spacing out on the other team that is supposedly going to like compete with them in the conference. That'd USA. be sick if UAB won, though. Yeah. Because they got their football yeah. program canceled a couple years ago. 
UAB bouncing back would be would be solid. I'm looking at the um, odds now for Conference USA. But, um, oh, uh, Marshall. U, uh, UAB and Marshall are going to be going toe-to-toe in the Conference USA, but I think UAB ultimately wins it. I, for the MAC first, going Western Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Ellaby, QB, returning, 90-plus PFF grade last year. He had one of my favorite throws to, I believe it was Dwayne Eskridge last year, down the sideline. Gorgeous throw. I might tweet it at some point. Mm. I like Western Michigan there. Now, Conference USA, I'll roll with Marshall in Conference USA. Wow, so you're going against me in both. Yeah, suck it. Wow, brutal. Brutal scene. Playoffs. I'll read my four teams, then you read yours. Mm -hmm. Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Cincy. Cincy beats Indiana on the road, beats Notre Dame on the road, goes undefeated in conference play, and sneaks in as the number four team in the playoffs. You snaked me. I got Cincy in there, too. We really? had to get Cincy in there. I really, I truly do believe that, again, they go undefeated. They, they bring back a ton of fucking talent. Like they, yeah. they bring back, they, what did they lose? Elijah Ponder, they lost their two safeties, and they lost James Hudson, left tackle. Now, James Hudson's probably, that's probably their biggest loss, in my opinion, of... It was the biggest loss in that game, and too. Obviously, the Georgia game, that really swung that one. But I think they'll be able to at least at least take down Indiana. Now, Notre Dame's the big one. But if they if they beat Notre Dame, which they're, in my opinion, the more complete team than Notre Dame in that game. Now, it's at Notre Dame. It's going to be tough on the road, whatever. But they beat Notre Dame. Like they, you go in, they go undefeated. They, they will get an invite this year with those wins on their schedule. So I was talking to an analyst here at PFF, Anthony Trash, and you even have the conversation about strength of schedule. Like, is Ohio State scheduled even that much harder, or you know, yeah, harder than Cincy's? Like, I again, like I, I think Power Five kind of automatically gets this bid that they have the harder schedules. And I know they have, you know, they recruit better talent sometimes, but still, like, yeah. I don't think it's that incomparable. So if Cincinnati does go undefeated and beats Indiana and beats Notre Dame, both on the road, I think they get the bid, and I think they're the fourth team. So it will be D.J. Ungalele, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and then Cincinnati. I'm going Cincinnati, Ohio State, but then I'm going to go Oklahoma. I think they go undefeated. Georgia. So Bama's out. Bama's out. No Bama. Interesting. They lost a lot. I do think that my playoff predictions are very predicated most, on... For most first-rounders. It's a lot of talent to lose. They're very predicated too on like first year starting quarterbacks. DJ Ungalele, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Like that's going to be you're you're asking a lot of guys who have not played a ton. I think yeah. the the one of the common threads of interviewing all these fucking college coaches I've talked to is that experience matters so much at every position, but specifically the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean we look at we, we always say like oh you know eighty point oh is good grade for a sophomore freshman. Yeah, they're like that for freshman lineman, freshman quarterbacks, sophomore quarterback. Hey, that's good because. At that age, develop like physical development, experience. You go like that matter. Like the you just play better, so much better. Fourth, fifth year to have a lot of guys in their fourth, fifth year matters. I have Alabama winning it all though, upsetting okay. DJ. Wow, really going out on limbs here with. You're welcome, Alabama. What do you have? Fucking Cincinnati winning it? No, Oklahoma. This year they get over the hump. I said their D line's different, different no. D line than they've had in the past. Oklahoma gets over the hump. Disagree. I don't think Oklahoma wins at all. I don't even think Oklahoma makes it to the playoffs. Yeah, I know you said that, but I'm disagreeing with you. All right, continue. Hey, I'll tell you what though. If you see an Ohio State square off in the playoffs, that's got to be a tailgate stop. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm afraid of what could happen there. That could be. That Didn't would... work out well last time. That might be mm -hmm. sink puke season. 
<laughs> that might be a that would be a fun one for sure. Uh, remember, like Chris said, it just has to be an absolute scene. Absolute scene. All Before right. we get to our award predictions here, have to shout out Homefield Apparel, a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Guess what? Wearing it right here. Roll. Aztecs roll. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, official, efficient, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of Big News Saturday, season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Georgia, Wisconsin, and Florida, but this Saturday we've got the Boise State Broncos. I love their gear. I have three of their crewnecks, San Diego State, Florida, and the Vols. I think you have to go and get your gear. They have so many schools, even some of the deep cuts. Bowling Green's on there. Um, I think Alabama State. I mean, they have a handful of deep cuts as well, which is sweet. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. Get ready for college football tailgate season. LFG. All right. On to our awards here. You put in our notes here that you don't want to bring up the Heisman. What's your problem? We're a Maxwell Award podcast. So we just don't. But they, they have a relationship. Maxwell and our Heisman are friends. Someone clowned, someone from the Heisman Award reached out to me. And because I said something on like a podcast or, or I made an offhanded joke tweet-wise about how uh, like everyone and their mother gets has a vote for the Heisman. And he was like, we try to keep it tight. How many players we hey, there, get to vote on? We have on. a good relationship with the national. I'm just saying. I thought it was. I'm a Maxwell Award podcast after that. Guy. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> well, I'm still a Heisman guy. Okay. Well, I'm kidding. But <laughs> Maxwell Heisman, I fucking knew you'd go this way. Yeah. What? DJ Uwongalele. Yeah, yeah. DJ Uwongalele to win. No. You just want Big Dave to like you. I just want Big Dave to like me. <laughs> I'm wearing it on my sleeve. No, I still think he wins the Heisman. Okay. Maxwell Heisman. I got DJ Wongalele. I also got to win the Davey O'Brien, which goes to the best quarterback in college football. Okay. I I want Spencer to... Rattler, right? I mean, you have... Yeah, Spencer Rattler. You, you know me. I, I I just think he's that talented. And it's not even just that talented. He is in an offense with Lincoln Riley. That is extremely conducive to putting up numbers. That had Jalen Hurts putting up numbers and getting in the Heisman conversation. Don't throw Jalen Hurts under the literal fucking school bus like that. I just said it had him putting up numbers. You made the assumption that it was because no, he was you, bad. you said even Jalen Hurts was putting up numbers. What was that? Where else did he put up numbers? What's cool is that you really did went out on a limb and picked the favorite to win the Heisman to win the Heisman. I know how to. Um, Spencer Rattler right now, the favorite at plus 600. Monday. DJ Wongalele at plus 750. Bryce Young at plus 900. Those are the three favorites to win the Heisman right now, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. But I think one of those two do win it. I, I, I could see the sneaky there. JT Daniels at plus 1,200. You said you were you're so vehemently against JT Daniels winning the Heisman. He's plus 1,200, fourth best odds. Hmm. Yeah. CJ Stroud tied for that. Cool. Um, Doak Walker. Did you go any different than me? I went Brees Hall. I did. I'm going to have fun with this one. Deuce Vaughn. No, you're high. Deuce Vaughn. They're going to feed him. They are going to feed him. He's going he's gonna to produce. Go Deuce Vaughn. There's no fucking way they go Deuce because Vaughn. Because every Deuce Vaughn highlight at five foot six, 180 pounds. Is lit. Is going to be everywhere. Like yeah. Everyone is going to know Deuce Vaughn if he produces. For those is who don't gonna, know, he's the Kansas State running back. Kansas State running back. Sorry, yeah. He's five foot six, 175 pounds. And he's awesome. And when we had his coach on the show, I asked him about Deuce Vaughn. He's like, we're trying to give him like fucking 30, 40 touches a game. Yes. <laughs> like they are going to legitimately move this offense through Deuce Vaughn. So he could put up the numbers. I just don't think he gets it over Brees Hall. I also think Isaiah Brees Hall is also going to get the touches. Yeah. 
Isaiah Spiller, I think, is another um, a guy that could get it for yeah. Texas A&M. I think he's a uh, he should be in the conversation. I think picking the running back one is always tough. What about Robinson? Robinson, I consider Brian Robinson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can. He's got the the body to handle a large workload. And Alabama, obviously, O line sick. Mm-hmm. He'll get the touches. He'll have the notoriety, but. Yeah, I'm going Deuce Vaughn. I think the name, so to recap on that kind of discussion, was kind of scatterbrained. Brees Hall, Iowa State, I's my pick. You're picking Deuce Vaughn, five foot six. Kansas State. Kansas State running back. And um, Bijan Robinson's a part of that at Bijan Alabama. Robinson, Tank Bigsby all in the conversation. Tank Bigsby in the conversation. We're going to be seeing Tank Bigsby live at Penn State, Happy Valley, September 18th. Here we go. Fred Belitnikoff, I went back and forth here. And honestly, I'm still like on teetering, but they're both in my opinion, going to be, or not both, but the both considerations were Ohio State receivers. Okay. I could see Chris Olave maybe putting up better numbers and Garrett Wilson being the better prospect, but still, I think both are sick. But I went with Garrett Wilson. I think he's the better talent. I think he's going to compete to be the best receiver in college football, and obviously I pick him to win the Fred Blitnikoff Award, which I am now a voter, by the way. I'm a voter on the Fred Blitnikoff nice. Award. I've, I'm also a voter. So we're two voters. Who are you voting for this year? I'm voting for Romeo Dubs, the Nevada. Yeah. He put up... I think he started last year with seven straight 100-yard games, I want to say, before teams just started like doubling him left and right. He is... Doubling? Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, I think full season, he's going to put up somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,800 yards. And <sighs> Romeo. Dubs. I will say this. Talking to the guy who's behind the Fred Blitnikoff Award winner, he doesn't give a shit about recruit status or anything he wants on the field. Yeah. Romeo Dubs, Garrett Wilson, I think, will be in the conversation. Maybe Kayshawn Boutte. Of was, LSU. Was Jalen Darden, was he a finalist last year? I can't Cuff? remember. I remember Andy Isabella was a finalist. Oh, yeah. Andy Isabella, RIP. He's not even going to make the Cardinals roster, oh, Mike. Oh, I know. That one hurts. Like, what is he going to be? Like, the wide receiver five? We got Rondell Moore, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk. They like Keyshawn Johnson. I mean, and he's got COVID. I, mean, I think Andy Isabella's done. Can we pour one out? We'll wait. We'll wait. wait. We'll wait. wait. All, right. All right. All right. It's tight end. Who'd you pick? Keep my hope. John um, Mackey Award. Sorry. I'm going John Mackey, top ten in the country. Isaiah Likely. I win Isaiah Likely. Let's go. He's gonna get the. He's gonna, dude, gonna dude, run that off. The volume is gonna be absurd. Volume. Yeah, already over 600 yards last year. 20 yards a catch. Do broke 10 tackles and 30 catches last year. He's gonna get more than that in 2021. Isaiah Likely, your John Mackey Award winner. Some sneaky candidates: Charlie Kolar, Iowa State, and yeah. then Nick Muse, South Carolina. Dude, uh, Charlie Kolar, he gets. So many fucking targets in that offense. Uh, they, they, I mean, why am I blanking on the quarterback right now? That, oh, Bryce Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy loves nothing more than throwing, throwing to a pick? completely guarded oh. Charlie Kolar. <laughs> he just like has never seen Charlie Kolar and been like, I can't fit this into a three inch window behind this linebacker's head. I like that. So I do think Nick Muse coming back to South Carolina. Talk to Beamer. Beamer's on the show. Beamer talks a little bit about Muse today. Maybe a little Michael Mayer action, Notre Dame tight end, sophomore. Dude, what did Jim Kelly say? Or not Jim Kelly. Uh, Brian Kelly say about him? He said he's like the best tight end they've ever seen or something. Uh, he's awesome. You know, he's Michael Mayer has got to be. Also Cincinnati guy. Yes. Well, coming to the guy. Cross the river. Sorry. Cuff Cath. Uh, he's absolutely insane. I mean, he like doubled. Uh, oh, bad. Really bad names today. The tight end from last year, who's the third round pick. Cole Komet? Nope. Not that one. Um, I don't know who you're talking about. Okay. With the Carolina Panthers, how am I? How do I like the guy know everything about oh, him? Oh, the blocker, uh, the H- uh, for... yeah, the eight. The, <laughs> I'm losing his name too. Help me, help me. This is this shouldn't happen. It's a fullback hybrid. Oh my gosh, you love this guy, Tommy Tremble. Tommy Tremble, that was that embarrassing. That was 
That was embarrassing. When you wanted to just cut that out the pot. Right? Well, no, that was on that was on two for one drafts. We're not two for one drafts anymore. That was an old podcast. Didn't happen. True. True. We completely technically it didn't happen. Yeah. Yikes. All right, but yeah, Michael Mayer, in the in the mix. All right. <laughs> John, I, I picked Isaiah's likely as well. Uh, Joe Moore Ward, the top offensive line. And what was your Golden Domers? <sighs> really? Yeah. Okay. They lost. They lost four starters from last year. They got two so top anyway. fifty players. Jared Patterson. Who's the other? I mean, they got they got Kane Madden, the yeah. transfer from Marshall. He'll be good. After that, TBD. I'll right. just say. I, I, Notre Dame Homer. I'm not even going with Notre Dame. I went with Ohio State. Thayer Mumford. Thayer Mumford. Thayer Mumford, two-year starter left tackle is getting kicked inside because they're so good. Nicholas Petit Freer is going to be taking really? over at left tackle. Oh, wow. Yes. He can't be su- super stoked on that. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be either if I were him, but... That's what I've heard via Ohio State camp. So they, they got a lot of talent in that offensive line. I, that's where I'm going to go with it. I think that's be. a way better pick than Notre Dame. <laughs> Thank you. Knowing that they're going to kick Thayer Munford inside because they're that good is insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, Outland Trophy, which I think on their website says go to an interior offensive lineman, but it's always gone to attack. It's gone to a tackle a ton the past few years. Yeah. It's Alex like, Leatherwood won it last year for Alabama. Well, interior, it's not interior offensive lineman. It's just literally interior line man. So, like, Quinton Williams won it. Glenn Dorsey. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's so right. So, it can be, like, a guy on the interior of the defensive line, but not a guy in the interior of the offensive line. It's been it's a tackle or a defensive tackle for the last – Yeah, it's, it's a tackle yeah. or a defense. I went Evan Neal, Alabama. So, yeah, Evan Neal is the pick if it has to be one of those two, in my opinion. Yeah, I like Evan Neal. Uh, Remington Award, who works with PFF pretty closely. They picked the best center in college football, and if they work for PFF, you know where they're fucking going. Tyler Linderbaum, center of Iowa. Yeah, if, if, there's no other pick here. If you're picking someone else, you're overthinking it. Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah. Chuck Bednarik. I went home where again, Kyle Hamilton. Oh, come on. You're just trying to gas me up now. After the USC pick, you're trying to get back in my group. I'm trying cases. to be a nice it's guy. It's not going to work. You're still not getting the invite. But yeah, Kyle Hamilton, most outstanding defensive player, is the Bednarik Award. And it's Who else were not you considering say, here? I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley will have the name recognition Leal. as well. They'll be getting you know, Leal. The, oh, Leal, sorry the DT for Texas A&M, they'll get gassed up. But I think the Hamilton and the role was what people will like flock towards. Like, oh, he's playing deep and now he's playing oh, yeah. on the ball. Like he's doing a bunch of different things. I think that's what he, he'll. He's also play. just such a good football player. I, think, I unique, might add, yeah, I might very, add that. Yeah, yeah, that Kyle, yeah, it might help. Um, it's like Zayvon Collins went last year because he was like a unique specimen. Oh, sure. So. He was also like the best player on the football field every single time that he comes to the field. Which I remember we Collins. were having conversations with the Maxwell about Zayvon Collins. Even, yeah. Like how good he was. We also haven't caught uh, – I remember Jim Radigan, the Army linebacker, getting brought up a handful of times as well on that Maxwell <laughs> award. That was, that was fun. Um, Dick Butkus, which goes to the best linebacker. I think any list you look at right now that looks at college football linebackers, Washington's – I don't even know – the pronunciation I'm going to butcher – Olu, Ulo Foscio is his last name. His first name is a, is a grind as well. But at a Fuan or whatever? At a Fuan Ulo Foscio, this linebacker for the University of Washington is atop any list you look at right now for linebackers in college football, returning to college football. And I think right now he's our highest ranked linebacker on the draft guide. Or is he? No, he's Ooh. not the highest ranked prospect. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be Nicobe Dean. Oh, okay. But he's. Super productive in what four games Washington played last year. And he's going to get hyped up because he's a former walk on. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves that story. I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to go Devin Lloyd, Utah, because five games he played last year 
27 defensive stops in five games. Yikes. Extrapolate that out to 12, and he's nearing the PFF record for stops in the season. He was everywhere for Utah's defense. Uh, Utah obviously has kind of that pedigree of their defensive, whatever, their defensive team that like everyone like you, you play for you play linebacker for Utah's defense. You're a tough football player or whatever. So I'm going to go Devin Lloyd for the Buckus award. Sneaky pick here. He was on the show. Hmm. Carlton Marshall, former walk on at Troy, Troy, who is a monster. Um, who rack, he's going to rack up a ton of tackles, tackles. in the Conference USA. Tackle. And if they're looking at tackles, he's going to be up there with the best in the country. I think there's also an award for the best walk-on in the country. I think he's pushing for that one as well. Um, Jim Thorpe. I put Derek Stingley. This is the goes to the best, what, defensive back in the defensive country? Defensive back. Well, I can't go best defender and not go best defender. Yeah, yeah. Sam Cal Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So, Stingley. I was trying to split it up. That one's tough. That one's, I mean, Stingley's going to be right fucking up there. So you didn't pick a Ray Guy award winner? Hell no. When I talked to Steve Adazio, before we even started recording, he said, I, I ran him down with questions I was going to ask him. He said, you're not going to talk about our punter? I was like, what? So I got I got Ryan Stonehouse here. He's the best fucking punter in the country. I was like, okay, we'll bring him up. And then we ended up talking about him on the, the interview. Punter. So I, I'm taking Odazio's word. I haven't done a ton of punter tape, but I'm going Ryan Stonehouse for Ray Guy. Okay. I even talked to someone who worked at the Ray Guy Awards when I was down there in Nashville, and I brought up his name. I was like, hey, check your guy out, Ryan Stonehouse. Adazio's all in. Fun so. fact. Uh, guy that lives across the street from my sister, former Ray Guy Award winner, BJ Sander, Ohio State. What's up, BJ? Wow. He was a third round draft pick for the Packers. That yeah. Was, he was like highly drafted. What? I think he was a third rounder. And Imagine taking a punk. Yeah. He, he oh, was wow. He just good. got a shout out from Quinn. Why got me a dick? Third rounder in 2004. What do you. Wow. That's rough, man. Sorry. That's BJ. Quinn's sister's neighbor's cousin. I don't know why you got to do him like that. <laughs> you can cut that part, the stunk part, but he was a third rounder. <laughs> And it did not last long. I'll go with, here, I'll go with Crick, Kirk Christoduolu, Pittsburgh's punter, because he was the highest graded punter in college football last year. Nice. 43.3 net. Yo. He's on, a dog. Uh, on 53 attempts, 90.2 punting grade. That's the first time we've talked about specialists on the tailgate. Maybe it is. And the two-point drafts. We're not a specialist podcast. I well, just trust the grades. Fair enough. Shout out, third third highest grade punter. So we have a few it. more segments here after the awards. We got bus watch. You have the I have fucked up award mm, or segment. These aren't awards. These, these are segments. Yeah, these, the bus watch segment, the I fucked up segment, and the, first r- the first round lock segment. Before yeah. we do, can I can I mention our proud sponsor? Yes, Western Southern, who is the proud sponsor of the tailgate podcast and these uncertain times life is full of questions like when should i start thinking about life insurance but however difficult these questions may be western southern can help you answer them back by over 130 years of experience together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind western southern financial group life insurance retirement and investments let's start with the bus watch award i think we called this one pretty early and it's not, not a lot this has be a weekly segment bus watch every wednesday mm-hmm. gonna put someone on bus watch mm-hmm. and this week it's time to hit the bus button. Whoa. What? <laughs> Not what I meant. <laughs> the bus watch button. Austin Jackson. BWB. Left tackle, Miami Dolphins. They've thrown him out there this preseason. They are giving him reps, praying that things turn around. He has a 33.1 pass blocking grade on 53 pass blocking snaps in the preseason. People are not throwing out their A pass rushers. He... Has allowed six pressures, five BDs, which are the you lost, but it didn't result in the pressure. Fifty-three pass blocking snaps. They that's what we 
have been kind of saying about Miami's approach that like rookies, second year guys, it might not be sweet right out the gate. And with Austin Jackson, officially on bus watch. Not the not the worst first round tackle yeah. in the 2020 draft, but definitely the second worst at this point. Worst one still playing, I guess. Yeah, worst one still on the roster. <laughs> That's some Isaiah Wilson discussion. Love well, to I see. mean, we're gonna. I think Austin Jackson too. You know, people bring up, oh, he's going against second and third stringers, whatever. It's like, yeah, he is. He's not. Now, this is the opposite side of that. I was it's like, say, dude, you, you're, the... you're 31, 33.1 pass blocking grade. You're not going against anyone's best. You're not seeing all that. You know, you know, intricate defensive play calls on the opposite side. Like, this is not a good look for Austin Jackson, a guy who obviously we thought was overdrafted in 2020. He was also one of the biggest consensus reaches, according to the athletic consensus board, which Mike knows I love to bring up. But still, mm. Austin Jackson, 33.1 pass blocking grade through 53 pass blocking snaps this preseason, six pressures allowed. Your I fucked up segment here, Josh The flip Jackson. side of the coin. The flip side of the coin, which yeah, is... Yeah, I, li- I, like, I like the duality here. I fucked up. I fucked up as recently as, what, th- three weeks ago when we had the segment on of who, who we thought was going to have a breakout? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the Josh Jackson. Uh, well, he got traded for straight up for what's his face? The guy who's already been tr- traded twice. Isaac, Isaac got, got him for the New York Giants. So, yeah, I fucked up on that one. Now, I wasn't as high as we're, we're, I didn't have draft board control back then. He was ninth overall. I actually fought to get Denzel Ward over him because I was like, Denzel Ward is a better quarterback. He's far better athlete, playing man coverage, doing a lot more NFL things, whatever. Like, he's a better player. Fought for that, but then Josh Jackson was still, I think, 10th on our board. Maybe 9th. Oof. Fucked up. I fucked up. I still I still thought he was like a top 15 player or so in that class. when they. You were stoked I, when the Packers got him. That was one of my – yeah, I was stoked. I, I love the Jai Alexander pick too, but I was like, that one, they have their cornerback group for the next decade. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it's I it. fucked up. I mean, that, that, I think Andy Isabella might be hitting this segment here pretty soon. Yep. That 50, one's going to be on there. Don't 50, worry. 53 man cut day's coming. I don't know if he's going to survive. It's going to be pretty brutal. First, first round lock segment. You're going to throw someone on this Let every me, week? Yes. So we got 21 weeks from now until the national championship game. We will throw a first round lock every single one. See how many I miss. Damn. So you don't gotta, think I'm going to say this like the survivor pool a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah. So hopefully I don't. 21 weeks. Obviously, going to start with if they go if they don't go in this year's draft. That's we're not going to. Oh yeah, quit. that totally. one's that one's just a pass. But start with an easy one. I'm going to go Derek Stingley Jr. Yeah, gonna, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to declare Derek Stingley Jr. a first round lock, the LSU cornerback slash wide receiver. I'll put my neck out there. I don't think you're putting your neck out too far, but I think it's smart to play this kind of like a survivor pool. You know, no Mike Lennon here. Don't don't go after the quarterbacks yet. Kind of save Rattler for down the road until you need to spend it, you know? Because I think you're going to go a couple weeks. You're like, I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to QBs, eh, hesitate on that one. Yeah. I, I, I got some up my sleeve. I, we've talked about basically what we just broke down for the, was it the, the bed and Eric? Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, the guys we threw out there. Oh, yeah. Are where sure. I'm starting. So Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it makes total sense. Well, this was an eventful show, man. We got the segments rolling. We got to start getting... Um, more consistent segments. So if that's what I was going to say. That's what it's going to be weekly. If you guys have ideas for segments, if you guys hate some of those segments, if you guys love some of those segments, let us know. We, yeah. We're open to feedback. Not even open to feedback. We, we need the feedback. We need we, it. We thrive. We crave feedback. it. Crave it. Without further ado, let's get to the interviews. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer and Houston head coach Dana Holgerson. Now joining the Tailgate podcast is current South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer. Shane, great to have you on the show. 
Thanks for having me on. We were talking a little bit before we started recording here, and I'm thinking about the scene, the absolute scene we are going to see in Columbia this year. It's even it, For game one, September 4th, you are going to have fans so stoked for the Beamer era, obviously game one of the Beamer era, and obviously getting fans back in the stands there at South Carolina. How excited does it, does it feel different out there? Or the fans, are the fans that excited as maybe I am? <laughs> yeah, they are. And they're not any more excited than I am. Um, you know, for everything that we as a country have been through since last year to have a packed Williams Bryce stadium, uh, on September 4th, the new energy here in this program, new staff, all that stuff, the opportunity to come back together as fans, uh, to cheer on the Gamecocks. It'll be special all around college football, but can't imagine it, can't imagine it being any more electric than what it's going to be here as I sit here doing this interview, it's um, I'm in my office and I look right outside the window at the football stadium and I just sit here during the day and just, you know, think about that and how crazy it's going to be on September 4th. And I can't wait. The anticipation builds. And, uh, you know, this, you're back in South Carolina. I obviously coached under Spurrier, in, uh, what, from 2007 to 2010. Yeah. He's been he's an obvious juggernaut for the program and, 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 and a model of, uh, of excellence there at South Carolina. I'd be interested to hear your, his influence on you as a coach, though. We know his influence on South Carolina, but what was his influence on you as a coach and as you kind of developed in your career? Yeah, it was huge. You know, I, I started out as a graduate assistant with George O'Leary at Georgia Tech, and then I went to Tennessee with Philip Fulmer, and then I went to Mississippi State with Sylvester Croom, and, and all those guys were different, but they were very much, um, you know, more similar in a lot of ways than different from each other. Uh, and then coming to South Carolina, you know, what you see is what you get with Coach Spurrier, and that confidence, that swag, whatever you want to call it with him, it is real. And that's how he was all the time. And it, and it was great for me to just see, you know, how he carried himself and how that mentality rubbed off on the football team that, you know, he had a confidence about himself uh, on during the week at practice on game day. You know, people talk about teams take on the personality of their coach. You hear that all the time. And and you saw that with, with South Carolina, particularly as we got better and better players. You know, but Coach Spurrier was a coach that you know, you've been around a lot of coaches. I've been around a lot of coaches that on game day, they're like so tightly wound that their team plays like that. And mm -hmm. not with Coach Spurrier. I mean, he was as loose and confident on game day as anybody where – you may be nervous, but then you'd look at him and be like, man, we're about to beat this team by a hundred, you know, the way that Coach Spurrier is carrying himself. So that was a good lesson for me. Just, you know, let's not make the game bigger than it is. It's still a game and, and prepare your team really well and then go have fun on game day and see what happens. I think that's a fantastic philosophy. I think talking to a lot of coaches this offseason, it reminds me a little bit of you know Tom Allen and his approach at Indiana. He is such a fun, I mean, he's diving into you know, his players after games and, and getting, you know, crowd surfing his players. I think that's the type of energy I think college football needs. And it, it honestly welcomes it as well. For you, you know, in, in this Beamer era, I think I've seen that 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 phrase used a lot, the, the year one of the Beamer era. You know, what can you tell South Carolina fans and college football fans what philosophically you're bringing, whether it's similar or different to Spurrier? And then also speak a little bit to kind of the schematic principles you want to initiate, maybe uh, even on the defensive side of the ball at South Carolina. 
Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to hope we're going to win football games like Coach Sprayer did and all that. That's the plan. And and I think, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of really good coaches and, and different systems, whether it be Lincoln Riley the last three years at Oklahoma and, and then being at Georgia with uh, coaching on the offensive staff, working for Kirby. But Jim Chaney was our offensive coordinator. Sam Pittman was the offensive line coach and, and being around that system. So I think you've always – you take from different places that you've been um, and then you've got to do what best fits your personnel and, and hired an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator that have been successful where they've been and in special teams as well. And then marrying, you know, our personnel and some of the things I've been, and let's been at, put it all together and let's see what best fits South Carolina. But, you know, we, we've put a big emphasis on we got to be better if you look back at 2020 to right now we've got to be better as a football team at stopping the run uh without a doubt and if you look back we did a study on the top teams in college football last year and the one common denominator was defensively they were some of the best teams in the country at stopping the run you look at the playoff teams i think three of the four playoff teams were something like top 17 in the country or something at stopping the run. So we've made a big point of emphasis on that. And then explosive plays, uh, you, you got to create, we've got to create more of them and we can't give as many up as what South Carolina we did last season. So those, that, those have been two big points of emphasis for us from just a, a execution standpoint. And then, you know, when you get into the game, special teams wise, I grew up the son of a head coach that put a huge value on special teams. And I don't want that to be a play where you just go on the field hope nothing bad happens and then get the ball back to your offense or defense or whoever it may be. I mean, we want to, we want to attack and, and make plays on special teams defensively. Like I said, you got to stop the run, but you know, I think you've got to be able to uh, limit explosives and then affect the quarterback without a doubt. And then offensively, we want to be balanced. Balance necessarily isn't 50, 50 to me. It's when you have to run it, you got the ability to run it. And when you need to throw it, you need to throw it. And then whatever gives you the best chance of, of winning that football game. So that's that's kind of where we are from from that standpoint with what we're trying to get done and execute. Yeah, I think limiting explosives is something that I've heard from a lot of coaches around the NFL, obviously stopping the run as well. But I think balance is, has come into question, especially as analytics have, is, have moved football forward in a lot of ways. What does balance look like? It's not 50-50. It is attacking the low, middle, and deep areas of the field as a passing game and also being able to run in short yard situations. I think that's a fantastic answer. Going, you know, Drawing our focus a little bit more to the current roster and this team upcoming season, Luke Doty who true freshman phenom the last the back end of the season, a guy who started as a receiver at South Carolina with, you know, really, really high end athleticism for the quarterback position. How much has he developed this off season, which I'm sure is a ton. And then what are your expectations for him in 2021? Yeah, we're excited about his potential, you know, people and I'm guilty of it too. think of him as like the old guy that's been around because he is kind of the old guy in that quarterback room. But Luke's been here about as long as I have. Uh, I mean, he was a true freshman last season that really wasn't a full-time quarterback till the end of the year. He was covering kicks. He was playing receiver. He was doing everything uh, for the team last season. So it's really been good for Luke to just be 100% all quarterback since we got here. He's, he's really worked hard on the fundamentals and footwork and things like that to help him at the quarterback position. He's a great athlete, so he's going to be a weapon running the football as well. And then I don't, you know, people don't give him enough credit for his ability to, to throw the ball as well. So he's constantly working on accuracy and arm strength like all quarterbacks are. But I think the biggest thing with him that you'll see the jump he makes is just from a fundamental and footwork 
uh, standpoint. And he's a phenomenal young man. He's extremely intelligent and, uh, uh, you know, glad he's on our team for sure. I think everyone expects him to take significant strides now that he's like kind of full-time invested at the quarterback position. I think I'd be interested. So where is he at from a weight? I know last year was what listed at six foot one, two Oh four. Has he added any weight at all? Or where, where is he hoping to play at this season? Yeah, he's a little bit heavier than that. I mean, we don't want him too heavy where he can't move around because he's got great athleticism and can be a weapon with his feet as well. So he's a little bit heavier and, and, and that's going to happen naturally. You know, very few teams got like a real off-season program. I guess no one did yeah. last year because everyone was shut down with COVID. So basically from March until the South Carolina team came back, he was working on his own. And then when you did come back, it was a little bit different because of COVID and the restrictions. You know, this year he's had a true off-season, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, and then into preseason camp with our strength and conditioning staff, Luke Day and his team. And, and so naturally – He's going to be stronger and and uh, and faster and put on a little bit weight, like a little bit of weight, like all of our players did. So he's in he's in a great position from a um, from a, a physicality standpoint for sure. You know, we speak to Luke Doty's rushing ability, but this this running back room at South Carolina is an obvious strength for this team. Insanely talented group with Kevin Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd. They headline the group. I'd be, so I could ask you what your expectations are. I'm sure they're high, but I'm sure both those guys are also aware of just how good they can be in the SEC and just the tandem that they have there. What would you say their expectations or their goals are for this upcoming season? Yeah, they're very, uh, they're very motivated and driven to, to be the very best. And, you know, I don't think they feel like, I'm sure they feel like they're the best in the country, the best running back room. And we want them to feel that way. That's the mentality we want our guys to have. So it, we're really excited about that room with Kevin, with Marshawn, Zaquandre White is a guy that a lot of people don't talk about that I absolutely love. I mean, he's an older guy. He's explosive. Uh, I'd coach I would love to coach a hundred Zaquandre Whites because of the energy that he brings every single day uh, and explosiveness to that position. And then we've got a young freshman, Caleb Juju McDowell, that, that has kind of been the talk of preseason camp. That's going to be a good change of pace guy as well. I mean, he's a 180-pound guy that plays like he's 220. Nice. And, uh, I mean, he's had a bunch of explosive plays in our scrimmages. He's got great ball skills, catching the ball out of the backfield, kick return ability. We're excited about him being added to that group as well because Kevin with Marshawn being out last year Kevin was the workhorse and and was about the only guy that played and, and we need you know when I was at Georgia we had Nick Chubb Sony Michelle and DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield uh those four guys were all kind of spelling each other and and certainly we want to get our guys enough carries but we also need to understand it's a long season and we don't want to hand the ball off to, to Kevin Harris or one guy in particular 50 times a game we need to mix that up also why it's so important to have a complementary skill set in the backfield as well as you start to rotate more guys in. Senior tight end Nick Muse. Uh, some people expect him to have, you know, to use another South Carolina tight end, you know, a, a Hayden Hurst like leap this upcoming year. How does he kind of take that next step and, and really solidify himself in the conversation for best tight end in the country? Yeah, I hope he does. Um, he's he's gritty. Uh, hard worker, grinds, uh, extremely smart. I was just telling him the other day, like I, I think sometimes, and I'm probably guilty of it too, We, I don't know if taking, for, taking him for granted is the word, but a lot of times we just kind of get comfortable because he is just so consistent. And then, you know, we had a scrimmage the other night and going back and watching the scrimmage, he's just, he's improved so much. It just, 
you know, run blocking, pass protection, being able to get open. Like you watch the guy run routes and just the little subtle things that he does in route running and how he's able to get open is really impressive. Releases off the line of scrimmage, um, be it, whether he's got a nine technique, hit up six technique, whatever. I mean, he's really worked and has a knack for releasing and getting himself open. And I'm excited about the year he can have. He's a great leader for us right now. And and uh, has worked really hard to have the kind of season that we think he's going to have. Uh, the tight end is always going to be a focal point of our offense. Marcus Satterfield, our offense coordinator, he's coached tight ends in his past. Uh, I coached tight ends at the last two stops that I was at. And uh, we want to have you know multiple tight ends and, and really feature them in this offense. We might have buried the lead here, Shane, but you have an absolute specimen on the defense side of the ball in J.J. Inakbari, Inakbari, and he is already projected as a first-round pick. I think he's going to really enter the conversation for best edge or best pass rusher in the country. He is a PFF darling from a grades and pass rush win rate perspective. How much has he developed, I guess, in the short time that you've had with him? And again, it comes back to expectations. Do you see him, you know, really taking, you know, getting on this rocket ship and, and draft, you know, rising up draft boards and high in people's uh, people's minds? Yeah, I do. Um, I think he's been fantastic. You know, he's a guy that could have left if he wanted to after last season and gone. He decided to come back, and he's been fantastic since the day that he he came back. You know, other places I've been, sometimes those guys come back for their last year or for another year. And you can tell it's kind of like one eye on the NFL mm -hmm. and they're not totally committed and in and, and not JJ. I mean, he's been a fantastic leader for us uh, since he came back. Uh, I can't remember in preseason camp, he hasn't missed a single day of practice, hasn't missed a rep spring practice. He missed, I think, two days of practice the week of the spring game, but then came out and played in the spring game and played well. That was awesome to see. So I'm excited about, you know, his continued development. He's got a great coach and Mike Peterson that coaches him at that position, who was a fantastic player in his own right. And then with JJ being able to put other pieces around him, you know, Jordan Birch is a young guy at that position that we're excited about. Aaron Sterling's an older guy that's had a fantastic preseason for us. We added Jordan Strawn, who led the nation in sacks last season at Georgia State that transferred in. So with those four guys, pretty good group around JJ and then we're I really like our group on the interior as well where you know teams certainly are going to have to have a plan for how they're going to block JJ uh, but then we've also got some other guys up front that can certainly uh, uh, affect quarterbacks as well. Yeah, the Georgia State transfer was another guy that graded really well in PFF system, and that's great to see him added to you guys' staff. Last question for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Losing J.C. Horn and Israel Mukuamu from the you know, from the secondary, there's opportunity to replace those talents and improve a lot. You know, I know you have Prunty, the transfer from Kansas. He's a he's a guy that we expect big things from him. Also, Jalen Dickerson and Cam Smith. How has your approach been to the secondary, replacing obviously those vocal and on-field leaders, and how has that progress gone? Really good, um, you know, really pleased with that group. I knew when I got hired that, that was gonna be uh, a major focal point for us. You know, when I got the job, uh, I think 
one was already in the portal and two had already pretty much declared for the NFL draft and we knew they were gone. And then shortly thereafter, I got the job, two more went in the portal. So right away, there's five guys that could be on your team right now that are gone at one position. So that was a major, major focal point for us in recruiting as well as the transfer uh, portal. We've got some really good returning guys coming back that have been fantastic for us. You mentioned Jalen Dickerson, Jalen Foster has been fantastic at safety. Uh, RJ Roderick, Cam Smith, Darius Rush. There's some really good guys there um, uh, in the secondary, but then I'm really couldn't be more fired up about the group that we've added. I mentioned that we attacked recruiting in the transfer portal hard and, and bringing all those guys in. There's not one guy that we look at and say, ah, we may have missed on that one. I mean, they're all going to be impact guys for us. David Spalding's a transfer from Georgia Southern that's going to play. Marcellus Dials a tra came in from Georgia Military. He's been fantastic. Isaiah Norris from Georgia Military. He's been fantastic. Tyrese Ross from Washington State. He's been fantastic. Carlins Platel from Assumption College has been fantastic. Um, so it's a really good group of guys that we've brought in there. Just added one, a, a walk, got walk on BJ, uh, BJ that walked on from a uh, transfer from Navy. He's come in and made an impact. So we've, uh, uh, I really feel like we've gotten better at that position since, um, uh, since I got here and, and excited about what those guys have done to this point. I guess I have one more for you, a follow-up. It kind of reminded me of this one, but I was talking to Mel Tucker yesterday, Michigan State, another guy that has leveraged the portal a ton, and he's been in the NFL for some time, and he talked about the portal as similar to free agency in the NFL and that you use it to fill needs, and you use it now because of the, the new rules and the flexibility there. You're able to leverage it and, and fill position groups of need. I, I know that's something that you've leveraged as well with the secondary, but how do you feel – this, this, these rules will, you know, affect, you know, the NCAA moving forward. Do you imagine teams leaning on it more than they have? I think that's obvious, but also how do you think it, I guess it positively affects the NCAA? The transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly in the position that I was in, it affected us in a positive way because we yeah. had some major roster issues just from a depth standpoint. I mean, we could barely practice in the springtime because Mel and I were together at Georgia, and I'm sure he does a lot of what we did at Georgia where during springtime and preseason camp, you had work going on on two different fields. And you had one group of 11 on 11 going on on this field, and you had 11 on 11 going on on the other field. And we couldn't do that because we didn't have enough DBs wow. in, in spring practice. And um, so it helped me certainly this year coming in to be able to take some immediate glaring needs and fix them pretty quickly uh, for sure. And, and it's not something that we're going to, rely on as much as we did each and every year. Uh, but it's certainly a positive in a situation like that. I mean, we're always going to start with, with high school recruiting uh, without a doubt um, and, and build a team that way. But it definitely, it gives you another avenue when you have attrition uh, for whatever reason to be able to, you know, create a competitive roster and not only that but just from a health standpoint injury standpoint for your team uh you know to have the full allotment of 85 guys on scholarship and and you know build the team that way and and, and be able to have safe practices if you will shane this has been fantastic i really appreciate the time and i wish you the best of luck this season thanks a lot come see us now joining the tailgate podcast here at PFF is current Houston head coach, Dana Holgerson. Coach, great to have you on the show. 
I appreciate you having me on. So much of the expectations surrounding Houston right now and reason for optimism around this offense and the team overall is obviously the quarterback position. Clayton Toon is a guy that a lot of people see as one of the best quarterbacks in the group of five. PFF sees him as a guy that should be competing for that top spot, that top quarterback spot in the group of five. Speak to the time that you've had with him and just the development you've seen from Toon so far. It's It's been a wild ride so far, to say the least. Uh you know, Clayton's, uh, he, you know, I just think he's, he's, he's at this point right now kind of coming into his own, uh, going into his fourth year. Um, you know, he's got plenty of snaps under his belt where he's got the experience. Um, you know, year one, he, he backed up uh, Derek King and, and, and came in and played the last five games of, of his freshman year, uh, you know, gained some valuable experience. Um, you know, when, when we decided to redshirt uh, Derek year two, um, you know, that put Toon back in that role to where he went in and played, I think, the last eight games, eight, eight games. Um, and then last year uh, played, uh, you know, played in eight games last year because we had so many games canceled and everything. So uh, I'm hoping for a full season out of him. I think he's uh, probably hoping for a full season more than anybody uh, just because he's, uh, he, he, you know, he hasn't put one together yet. That's not his fault. Uh, it wasn't his fault. Uh, either of the three years, um, you know, but Clayton's a great kid, hard worker. Uh, he, he's got a lot of experience to snap under his belt. I think going into thir year three with our offense is usually when guys kind of turn the corner at quarterback. So I'm, I'm looking for a big year out of him, no doubt. We've had a handful of college coaches on this podcast of late, and something I consistently ask, specifically the offensive-minded coaches like yourself, is you know what what are some of these key aspects you feel are necessary for collegiate success at the quarterback position? You know, bringing it up to Herm Edwards, he talks about you know playing in the clutch. You got to show up on the fourth quarter. You got to show up on third downs. I think uh, Eli Drinkwitz mentioned accuracy and poise and calmness under pressure. I mean, what what are the attributes that you know kind of first stand out to you when you're looking for the necessities for successful play at the college? Uh, the quarterback position uh, i think i think leadership skills got to be at the top of it there uh, just you know being able to to understand that you know the 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 finger is going to be pointed at you a lot so if the, if if things don't go well uh head coaches and quarterbacks are the two that get the first they're the first two to blame so you got to be able to handle that you got to have thick skin with that but you got to have the ability to be able to make everybody around you better you know and I just think he's at a point now, Clayton's at a point now where leadership skills are easy for him because he's been here going into his fourth year. He has this experience, the snaps, and he's, he's comfortable, um, you know, understanding what we're trying to do offensively now. So you just, you put all those things together, the leadership aspect of it uh, could be important. So certainly there, those are all good qualities that, that you said from those other fine coaches and you know, accuracy is is important. You know, clutch time, being able to take over a game in the end is important. Uh, but having the knowledge to uh, uh, possess what 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 with what we're actually trying to do on offense, I think, is incredibly important. Along with just trying to make everybody else around you better, I think Clayton has the opportunity to be able to fall into all those categories here this year. You've had a unique opportunity, or he has a rare opportunity to work with a lot of really, really talented quarterback prospects, guys that have even had success in the NFL or have been legitimate prospects, including you know, Will Greer, Derek King, now Toon. What have been some consistencies in the work that you've done working with and developing quarterbacks that you feel has become kind of part of your philosophy when trying to you know, bring up that position? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's changed probably a little bit with what the NFL is doing. That's made these guys a little bit more uh, attractive, so to speak. So you know, this goes back way back to our 
our Texas Tech days with guys like Graham Harrell and Cliff Kingsbury, and and uh, coming coming to Houston my first time around, that Case Keenum fellow was was a pretty good one. Yeah, uh, you know, went to you know, Case didn't you know those none of those guys got drafted, you know, and it wasn't until I went to Oklahoma State and had Brandon Whedon for a year where he was the the bigger type, uh, you know, pocket uh, type guy. Uh, not, not, not really didn't have that label as a system guy because he was a little bit undersized. Uh, he was big enough and, and talented enough to where the NFL kind of wanted that, but that slowly changed, you know, Geno Smith was, uh, was a pretty high draft pick as well. And then the NFL turned to, I don't care if those guys are undersized like Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and, and Kyler Murray, and the list goes on and on. That, that's what, that's a guy like what case was like back then. Right. So um, you know, yeah, you're right. I've been fortunate to coach a whole bunch of good ones. Will Greer fits into that. Saw him, he had a, he had a really good preseason uh, game here the other day. But um, you know, been fortunate to be around a lot of good ones, and they all have kind of the same, the same, the same traits to them. A lot of them are coaches' kids. Uh, they're gym rats. They, you know, they they they've been around it their whole life. You know, like Clayton's older brother. He, Clayton considers himself a a coach's kid because his brother played college football. And he, when he was, you know, growing up, he was able to go to these games at North Texas and and, and watch his brother play. <clears throat> but that's what Graham was. That's what Case was. That's what Will Greer was. Uh, you know, they were all guys that just been around it their whole life. And, and all they knew was football. Before we jump to some other positions, I want to look at some guys on the defensive side of the ball specifically. Uh, you know, Derek King, you had an opportunity to coach with him, you know, coach him. He's on to Miami now. And there are people who have dark horse Heisman expectations around King to lead that Manny Diaz team to two significant heights in, in 2021. I guess I'd be interested to hear what, what your expectations are for King and obviously super talented, super athletic, all these tools. Where do you feel he's in his development? What can he do? What's his ceiling, I guess, in 2021? Well, I think he's. Uh, I think he's. He's. He's proven to be a pretty good player. I mean, it's, he's. And I. I guess this is year six for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a lot as a true freshman back when, when uh, Tom Herman was was head coach here at Houston. You know, so that, which has that's two or three coaches ago. So he's been around for a long time. I don't know how many snaps he's logged in his career, but it's got to be getting close to potentially being some sort of a. In- CAA record, uh, you know, I was, was fun watching him last year. You know, uh, he did, he did a great job here at the university of Houston. He, he's an old, he's a Houston alum played a long time. I think, I think, I think kids clocks run out at times. So he was looking to, for a fresh start in a new city and a, you know, and the U's got great uh, tradition. So that, that worked out good for him. He had a heck of a year last year because of COVID he gets the sixth year and, you know, he had continued to make play after play. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, we at PFF are really high on the corner Marcus Jones, and I know he's a big leader for your team, a captain on your team. Do you see, you know, you know, everyone talks about this secondary in, in Cincinnati and this guy, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, but Marcus Jones, a guy that can compete to be that top cornerback in the group of five, I guess, what are your expectations for him in, uh, in this upcoming year? Oh, we got high expectations for Marcus Uh yeah, he's uh, he's a first-team All-American punt returner. Uh, he's pretty special with this ball in his hand. In, in his hands, so uh, you know, having him as a threat in the return game is is, is awesome. Just watching him uh, cover people as a nickel corner uh, is pretty special. That 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 Garner kid there at Cincinnati is a a different kind of corner. He's more he's a, he's a longer you know get your hands on you. He's got the speed to be able to do it. Marcus is a little bit more of a shorter guy that's got to be really good with his feet to be able to position himself to, to make plays. But 
Um, you know, we've had Marcus one year. He didn't play in the BYU game last year. I think that potentially could have put, you know, been the difference in us, you know, maintaining that fourth quarter lead or, 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 or wasn't able to maintain that fourth quarter lead. So, you know, and he really didn't play in the bowl game last year either. So we really only had him for about six games. And for him to, to be a first-team All-American part returner in six in six games is, is, is pretty spectacular. That was, a, I believe, a school record for return yards and in, 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 in what amounts to a little less than a half a year. So uh, excited for him to put together a whole season. You know, yeah, the other corner we got, uh, Pepe Williams, number six, is, a, is, a, is another three-year starter at corner. So you get those two guys out there that have the experience that have and the ability that they have that allows you to – do some different things with your defense. And I know coach Belk's excited about that opportunity. Another standout is Logan Hall, a guy that kind of completely transformed his body before the 2020 season. I saw that he packed on some weight before this past year. And even though it was in a limited sample size, really broke out from a PFF grading perspective, specifically as a pass rusher. Has this offseason been different for Hall as he continued to reshape his body, live in the gym? Where is he at with his development? Looks great. Looks great. We had a, a, a pretty good one last year and, Number 98, Peyton Turner, you know, who uh, wowed people with it. Peyton only played in, I think, three games last year, but he was just the best player on the field, uh, without a doubt. But uh, throughout the, the NFL process, he 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 was such a impressive young man uh, to where the, the, the scouts moved him from a third rounder to a second rounder to a first rounder uh, just because of how how uh, how impressive he was in all these workouts and in, in, in the meetings as well. Um, you know, Logan's body type is the same. Uh, so, you know, he's a six foot six, 260 pound guy that, that, that plays inside that plays three technique. He's tough and he's, he's physical to the point where he can handle inside uh, three technique um, run games uh, stuff, but we can also move him out and he can uh, be pretty good on the edge as well. So if they like the PT, they're going to like uh, Logan Hall quite a bit. Last one for you, coach. And I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. Texas tech comes to Houston September 4th to open up the season. How has the preparation for that game gone? And I guess, you know, prepare Houston fans for, for that kickoff. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. You know, that the, the Red Raiders coming to Houston is, is going to be good. It's going to be great for the university of Houston. It was originally scheduled for a home game here at TDECU stadium. Uh, the Texans came calling for the kickoff classic and uh, you know, we, we, I love neutral site, you know, home games, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, from a payday perspective, it's good for our, our, our university as well. But, um, you know, there's a lot of Red Raiders here in Houston. Uh, it, both teams are very familiar with each other. I mean, it, when I was back here in 2008, uh, you know, we played Texas Tech. And then obviously, you know, the eight years that I was at Oklahoma State, West Virginia, we played against them a lot, uh, you know, and um, Keith Patterson, their defensive coordinator, was my DC at West Virginia for a couple of years. So I know that staff well. They know us well. The kids know each other. Heck, we had three of their kids that have started games for them the last few years and have transferred <laughs> down here. So uh, they, they've been giving us some insight and some information about them as well. But a lot of kids know each other. It's an in-state uh, Texas game. And, you know, playing playing over there at NRG Stadium is going to be awesome. It's going to be great for both, uh, both fan bases and great for the city of Houston as well. Fantastic stuff, Coach. Really appreciate the time, and best of luck this season. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me on now. That's going to do it. Episode 2 of the Tailgate Podcast. Tailgate, we are going to start our tailgate this weekend. Remember, Fighting Illini. Take on the visiting Nebraska Cornhusker, Scott Frost, Brett Bielema. We will be there Friday. We already got the family shirts. We got the family shirts. 
F-A-M-I-L-L-Y, Orange. We're going to be, it's going to be a good time. We're also speaking at, uh, with the, the Sports <laughs> Business Administration class for 20, 30 minutes. What? What's your problem? They just like. They have a lot to learn. They don't need me telling them then. You got to <laughs> no, give them the puke sink story. Yeah. You're also I assuming not. that they're going to show up because it's Friday. Game True. day Friday. Game day Friday. I might have skipped a class two on game day. Wow. Friday. If you're, if you're college, big, but, hey. if you're a big enough try hard to go to like a whatever business thing, you're probably going to this. No, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Either way, um, that's gonna do it. Tailgate episode, Tailgate podcast. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick. Until next time, the tailgate.